You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. We are recording this episode just a day before uh, Virat Kohli turns 31, apparently. Uh, so on this auspicious day, let me welcome my co-host Ajit so we can talk about this and hopefully many other things. Hello Ajit, how is it going? Hi Giri. Um, why is it supposedly? Or, I mean, are you saying he might have some uh, Shahid Afridi like uh, endurance <laughs> or other things? I would like to understand. Well, uh, there is another another thing that is born tomorrow, another character that is born tomorrow. If I if I read if I read if I read it right, I think there's a superhero coming up. It's called Super V, named after mm-hmm. him, uh, and he's supposed to inspire uh, the new generation. Uh, yeah, know? why not? Yeah. yeah. So well, I was uh, looking at the promos. It looked very promising. So you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I think I'll be at work when it comes really live. But uh, maybe I'll catch some uh, uh-huh. you know, highlights online, and yeah. uh, we can talk about it in one of the upcoming episodes, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be interesting. Although it's probably directed for kids, you know, it's it's uh, more for a younger audience. Uh, but I think your taste is a little wider than uh, any normal person, right? So you were, we were just talking about this MSG thing. just off right uh, you know offline uh before we <laughs> started recording this episode so i'm I, i wouldn't be surprised if you were to become an ardent follower of this super we thing so yeah 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 come on i mean i i actually hold myself responsible for not introducing you to this phenomenon that was the movies of msg i mean that will be a podcast in itself so i'll not go too much into it uh-huh. but yeah it's, it's uh, totally worth it i mean he i think was serious mm. but you can get a lot of Fun out of it. Yeah. If you ever want to. Watch yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, you know, uh, let's start talking about cricket. Uh, let's say, and uh, uh, and I mean, I, I I miss so much of cricket all these days because I was quite busy at work. I think I must have missed nearly two weeks of cricket. Although I was following score lines and stuff like that. But what I found interesting was um, a match being played at Ferocia Kotla in Delhi. Uh, even though the pollution mm-hmm. level air pollution was quite rampant over there i read uh, and uh, i i was even surprised to look at some pictures of people not wearing you know pollution mask while uh, playing out there in the in the middle the players especially so india and bangladesh right did you follow this match i'm sure you have a lot to say yeah i mean i was able to see most of it live and uh, well i mean first of all it turned out to be the good thing that you know ganguly the president of bcci thanked the players of both the teams to play in delhi i mean it it did look like very smoggy indeed so i was even surprised you know there was no um, stoppage in play due to bad visibility or something i mean uh, that could have been a chance you know a realistic chance so coming back to the match well it was one of those close matches because the match went into the last over of the game of course mm. and bangladesh came out deservedly the winners um all thanks to mushfiqur rahim who finished uh, unbeaten on 60 and unlike a couple of previous instances he was able to take bangladesh home 
right? And Mahmoudullah, the captain, stayed with him and made 15 unbeaten. So, look, India struggled quite a lot. So, they were really lucky to even make 148 with 30 runs being taken off the last two hours by uh, Kunal Pandya and Washington Sundar. So, basically, Shikhar Dhawan struggled to run a ball 41. KL Rahul 15, then IR 22 and Punch 27. Basically, nobody was able to really make a big dent in the scores in terms of strike rate at least because Shreya Sayar looked really comfortable and I thought he got out to an injudicious shot. Outside of that, most people struggled, right? Shivam Dubey did not look the part. I mean, okay, he only got to face four balls effectively. So a lot of credit goes to how Bangladesh bowled. So we should not be taking any credit away from them because uh, they've been bowling quite well. The spinners bowled really well, especially the leg break bowler. Like um, Aminul Islam, who took two wickets. Then you had, uh, I think, Shafiul also took two wickets, but he was a bit costly. Aminul Hussain got hit in the last but one hour. But I think initially, Aminul Hussain and Mustafizur Rahman bowled really well. They kept the tabs on the Indian scoring in the first couple of hours. And then once the spinners came on, Afif Hussain and Masaddiq and Mahmoudullah also had a small role to play. So they all bowled really, really effectively in the middle over. So the over let's say a number between 7 to 15, India could not build, could not get any momentum. They struggled at 6 and over or so. So that's what cost India the match. They were about 20 runs short comfortably. And this was unlike many other Firoz Shah Kotla pitches which we are aware of or which we are usually seeing in IPL because it was not going to be low and slow. It it was somewhat two-paced, the pitch. But still, you know, uh, Bangladesh did the right thing by winning the toss and bowling first without, uh, you know, without any knowledge of how the pitch would behave. And it turned out to be the right thing to do as well. Because even when they batted, they were not able to really make a big score or really get off to a big start or a quick start. So, Soumya Sarkar and Mohammed Naim studied the innings after Lilton Das was out quickly. And then Soumya Sarkar also had a very good partnership with Mushfiqur Rahim, it must be said. Mohammed Naim was debuting and I think he played very steadily. But uh, the difference was that, uh, you know, that over from um, Khalil where he gave away four boundaries in four balls. So, I don't know. Did you notice any good talking points for yourself as well? Uh-huh. Not much. I only read that uh, there was a dropped catch uh, by the other Pandya, Krunal Pandya, uh, of the bowling of uh, Chahal, I guess. And that turned out to be yes. a crucial moment in the game. I think Mushfikar was playing or he was batting on 30-odd runs at that point in time. And then if he was dismissed, maybe the scoreline would have looked different and uh, India might have, you know, caused a few jitters in the uh, Bangladeshi middle order. But yeah, but the drop catch, I think, uh, proved to be very costly for uh, the Indian cricket team. Yeah, yep. it was one of those easy catches. I mean, it was set up well. He hit it straight down the fielder's throat. It was at an awkward, awkward uh, height, literally at his throat. Mm-hmm. You know? But, uh, and he was one of those catches he would take 98 out of 100 times, probably 99 <laughs> out of 100. This was the one that was to be dropped. And unfortunately, it bounced out of his hands and uh, hit the boundary rope after a bounce. So yeah. it was a four. And more importantly, that was the thing that opened the floodgates. So that over from Yuzvendra Chahal in the 17th of the game, uh, 18th of, sorry, 16th of the game, it cost 13. Then the next over of. Uh, Khalil was the one that where all the damage happened. So they took just two singles of the first two balls, but he held his nerve. So he played all round the wicket, first of all. So Mushrikur deserves a lot of credit here. So mm-hmm. he played all round the wicket and also with those four balls as well, three balls he very effectively put them to boundary. The fourth one he was a bit lucky, but you know he deserved the luck. So uh, at the time of dropping of the catch, the run rate was 12 and over. Mm-hmm. And if that catch had been taken, I think that would have been very difficult for Bangladesh. Mm-hmm. And 
effectively from that point on mahmudullah and maybe you know uh, people like uh, mosaddeq hussain and afif whoever would come in would have a lot of pressure on them but that whole thing was let out in those about 10 balls and after that it was also a weird thing to see shivam dubey being given the ball in spite of you know chahar having the over left mm-hmm. it was something i think a, an experiment so to say mm-hmm. so all in all the plan was the plan was sort of working as far as india was concerned they were able to take it to you know bangladesh net 50 of the last 30 balls and, but they had wickets in hand so they had to be given credit there that swami sarkar and mushfiqur rahim built that innings yeah. and therefore they made sure they had three or four good hitters left in the heart if required and luckily they didn't need any of those things mm-hmm. so you know i think this this sort of takes away a couple of uh, very painful memories for bangladesh mm-hmm. the nidahas trophy final comes to mind and that uh, the i think was it the asia asia cup where bangladesh uh, i think uh, mushfiqur himself celebrated a bit prematurely <laughs> with yeah two runs required and the match ended there when I mean, bhuvneshwar kumar was bowling the last over right yeah so the famous nagin dance bomb. the famous nagin dance uh, <laughs> nagin dance was i think in the nidahas trophy in nidahas trophy okay could have been okay so yeah yeah but that was nagin dance is also a bit of needle between sri lanka and bangladesh as well <laughs> so anyway so what all in all i think uh, what he showed was there are not a lot of demonstrations or anything he appeared calm both his feet on the ground even after hitting the winning runs right so, i think there was one or two exaltations that was very nice to see that he he kept his cool and uh, indeed he also said it off uh, after the match right of air he has said that you know with all the chaos that's surrounding bangladesh cricket in these couple of weeks right mm. uh, i think a couple of wins in this uh, tour would do them very you know serve them very well so yeah. that's something i think they are very serious about that they are very focused on that and you can see that in their actions mm. they bowled really well they fielded very well and uh, they took the match home so mm. it's an interesting you know um, interesting thing that india are now fifth in the rankings right and yeah. the t20 world rankings you know the difference between the top five teams is not a lot but still you know pakistan are comfortably ahead but the next four teams there's a lot that they can play for and india will want to win the next two matches i'm sure but uh, what do you think will it going to be easy for india to do that um i well actually to be honest i think bangladesh uh, shakibul hasan's ban might actually turn out to be a wake up call for the other players you know to you know to uh, bring themselves forward and uh, show put up a good performance in order for their team to win and this was a very good occasion where mushfiqur you know stood up and then made sure that he was there till the end um i mean i i mean i fancy bangladesh having another go here i think they might as well i, I mean they might actually level the series if one of the other matches is cancelled due to bad weather which could turn out to be the case in the next t20 right play being played at uh, rajkot Uh, mm-hmm. I read that there is a chance that a cyclone uh, might hit uh, the same area and in the during the match, so that could be called off. And if Bangladesh either can win one or you know uh, even level the series, it's going to be a fantastic result for uh, Bangladesh cricket in general. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting, and India's experimentation will continue. Uh, I would have, I mean, I was surprised to see Rishabh Pant uh, being fielded. I would have given Sanju Samson uh, another go, right? I mean, he he deserves a chance. uh and we look i have a feeling we'll see him in the series yeah. yeah maybe they should give him a chance because i think he scored he's 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 in fantastic form he just scored the double 100 in domestic cricket right so he should be given a chance um and uh, the other guys like shivam dubey i haven't seen him 
produce the goods even in IPL. So that's a, another, you know, performance due from him, I would say. And KL Rahul, yeah, I don't know where he can play in the in this team because he he is not able to convert his starts. All he had to do was stay there till the end. I think he was out for a very soft dismissal again. So, yeah, if Rohit Sharma and uh, Shikhar Dhawan don't click at the top of the order, India look very vulnerable, uh, especially because they don't have somebody like Kohli. And uh, yeah, Kohli is having a, you know, a very deserved break. I think he needs the break. It's going to be interesting in the second match. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a tough one, even if the match were to happen, that yeah. is, right? And look, the bowling is also not very experienced. Mm-hmm. Deepak Chahar and Khalil are the fast bowlers. And you have Chahal, who's a very good spinner, of course. I was actually a bit, uh, yeah, it was a bit interesting to see there was no Jadeja. Given that the bowling line was going to be so inexperienced, somebody of Jadeja's experience would have made some difference, I think. Yeah, could have, could have, yeah. I think the most experienced bowler uh, in in that lineup was actually Chahar. Uh, Chahar or Chahal could have been one of those. Could be Chahal. Chahal, Chahal yeah, Chahal. Chahal. And yeah. in terms of Seamus, uh, I think it was Chahar. And Khalil has only played a couple of matches, right? So he, he played some in New Zealand. Uh, so it's fairly mm-hmm. inexperienced. So let's see. I mean, they they might be given some more chances. All in, you know, in the, the preparation towards the World T20 next next year in Australia. So, yeah. So, it's it's a bit of chop and change. Let's see how it goes. Hopefully, they come back uh, strong in the next match. Yeah, they have a point to prove. Right, so. Indeed. Now, I do expect a couple of changes. Samson may get in a look ahead of Shivam Dubey. Let's see. Let's see. Depending on the pitch, of course, and depending on the conditions that day. Going on... Um, you have the Australia-Sri Lanka T20 that finished. Now we have a series of T20s going on all over the world. So the Australia-Sri Lanka third T20 happened in the same period. And well, I mean, Australia comfortably beat Sri Lanka. There was no surprises as far as uh, this match result was concerned. Right. So, you know, Warner remained unbeaten again. So that was the main thing. Sri Lanka in this case batted first. This was the match held in Melbourne and they batted first and they made 142 for six with uh, Kusal Pereira making 57. And, uh, well, Warner again remained unbeaten making 57. And uh, uh, Ashton Turner sort of made 22 and helped him finish the match off comfortably. There was not, not a lot that they were worried about. For a change, Steven Smith failed. He made just 13. So, that was good. That was news in that match. But outside of that, I don't know how many instances of an entire series where an uh, opener remained unbeaten. So, uh, you know, I'm going to look it up again later. Uh, I could not find many series. In fact, I could not find any series where an opener remained unbeaten in the entire series, in a T20 international series. So, I'm going to continue searching for it. But uh, if any of our listeners would like to point us to any of any such example, I would be very curious because that's a fantastic achievement by Warner. You know, this is his first set of games at home after the ban ended and everything. And he's sort of coming back with a vengeance. He's sort of making the Australian public fall in love with him all over again. We know how effective he is. And he's trying to probably re-establish himself. And that's that's that was very nice to see. So, once that tournament ended, right at the back of it, Australia played Pakistan. Um, and the first T20 was played in Sydney. And in this case, Pakistan batted first. It was a rain-truncated game. And they made 107 for 5. So, in that case, Babar Azam, the skipper who also opens the bat, made a very classy 59 of just 38 balls. Right? He was the one player that looked really... Uh, a cut above in the Pakistani team there and only Mohammad Rizwan the keeper made a very patient 31 of just 33 balls 
but outside of that you know it this looked like a total that was not going to be enough and it it was going that way in as much that finch made 37 of just 16 balls you know mohammad irfan the tall tall left arm fast bowler who's been brought back at a very you know slightly old age of 37 into the team he was able to now nah, he completely lost control with the new ball i think he bowled a couple of full tosses in the first over he was able to get away with that but the second over or the third over of the game when he got in again finch made it pay he bowled he hit him for a couple of fours and sixes and there was even a no ball if i'm not wrong it 26 runs were taken off that over so that meant after 3.1 overs australia were 41 for no loss and all they needed was just 11 legal deliveries and that would have been a game for them unfortunately rain intervened and they never got back on the field in the match uh, finished with a no result so you know it puts a bit of focus on that 20 minute interval that they decided to keep in spite of the rain delays i don't know what is the precedent for this or what is the rule behind this but it seems a bit bizarre given that you know so much of plays happening and so much of plays being lost and you would want to keep some time saved for the players so you take 10 minutes back into the game and maybe give one one over each to both the teams that would have mentioned such as reduce the um break by 10 minutes in that case probably australia would have won so I, and i think uh, finch even came out after the match and expressed this saying that probably you know it was a very narrow thing for them getting mm-hmm. i don't know if you were able to follow some highlights of this match no no not at all i just read the report at the end and i i kind of agree with aaron finch there uh 20 minutes is a waste of time maybe there was uh, there were commercial reasons behind the break they might have reserved some air time for the sponsors and you know those kinds of things right. so they would have to do that probably that was that could have been a strong motive although um, they played only 15 overs right i think the maximum number of overs they played was just 15 which would then mean they wouldn't have they wouldn't have played even an hour right that's maximum 1 hour of cricket or maybe 1 hour 10 minutes 1 hour 15 minutes why do they need 15 or 20 minutes break just 5 minutes to ch- change over you know put the keepers pads on and then come back out to the field it's it's, it's supposed to be the shortest format of of cricket and uh, mm-hmm. if you're adding more time to it i think it will put people off even more and and people will slowly drift towards uh, something like uh, the the 100 for example right, right. uh god forbid uh, uh, or something like t10 that's supposed to be played in abu dhabi uh, in the next few days right so t10 so something like this. so i mean they they have to do think of, they have to think about this uh, the icc and as well as the mcc to ensure that we have some sort of uh, uh, lenience allowed towards reducing the amount of break we have so something to ponder in the for the future i would say indeed for sure look it, it was something i think left to the local organizers because uh, the match was interrupted after 13 hours and then or 12 hours and then they came back to only play 15 hours right so that means clearly a lot of time was lost and you would automatically reduce the break one would think but anyway i turned out australia lost out very narrowly but you know it was clear that they were they were better than pakistan that day it remains to be seen the remaining uh, t20s will show if that is truly the case because mm-hmm. the next few days later tonight or early tomorrow morning depending on how you look at it yeah. so it's going to be interesting let's see how that goes now moving on the next t20 series that is again underway is between new zealand and england this is a five match t20 series so it's more like a preparation leading to the world cup i think right also for england to get sort of get uh, set to the conditions there because they play tests after that so in this case uh, two matches have been played the first one was played uh, on uh, the 1st of november in christchurch and in this case uh, england won the game 
right? So this is also a new looking England team and they also are experimenting quite a lot with their top order as well as with their bowling. So New Zealand batting first made 153 for 5 and uh, Ross Taylor made 44 and Darren Mitchell made 30 and uh, Tim Seifert, the keeper, made 32 as well. Uh, but this was this this was again 10 to 15 runs shot very clearly. We could see that, and England chased this down with nine balls to spare, with uh, James Wins making 59, uh, Johnny Besto making 35, and skipper uh, Morgan being uh, 34 not out at the end. So not a lot to write home about as far as uh, New Zealand were concerned in this game, right? So they were comfortably outmatched. But the second T20I, which was played in Wellington. New Zealand were able to spike back. They took one back. So, in this case, again, they batted first. They made 176 for eight, uh, with Jimmy Nisham making 42, and then Colin Grandom and Taylor making 28. And, of course, Marty Guptill finally coming good, making 41. So, this this was sort of a more on-par total. This was played at the Caketon, as it's called, in Wellington. Right? It's a very nice stadium. And here, sort of, England fell well behind the chase. And in the end, in spite of some lusty blows by Chris Jordan, who made 36, you know, they only were able to get to 155. So, uh, good restrictive bowling by spinners. Mitchell Sandler took three wickets in both the games and with the economy of around six and over. So, that's very good bowling from him. And Saudi, the skipper, took two for 25 as well as Lockheed Ferguson, two for 34 in this case. Ishodi was a bit costly, but he took two for 37. So, as a leg break bowler, you are allowed to be a bit, you know, costly. So, all in all, it worked out well there. So, this is going to be a very interesting series with the match level, uh, series level one all. Uh, going into the next set of matches again, another one is going to be played later uh, tonight or earlier tomorrow morning. So it's going to be good. I think I'm looking forward to how this series is going to end. Also, as far as England are concerned, they gave debut to another very fast bowler called Sakib Mahmood. They have their eyes on him. So, and Pat Brown, who's been a sort of a standout performer in their uh, T20 leagues, the latest uh, blast. So they have they have given a couple of new faces there, some chances. This is all. Luke Gregory, for example, a stalwart performer for Somerset for many years, he's also playing. So, all of these guys are sort of being blooded into the team to keep the World Cup in mind, I think. So, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be an interesting set of matches, right? So, uh, I don't know. Moving on, if you were to look at the, you know, the West Indies women and India women matches that are going on. So, there have been two matches and the series is one apiece. With, uh, you know, the first match was very tight. India could have won it of the last ball of the game, but... They lost the last remaining wicket and they were like all out one run short of West Indies. But the talking point in this match was the catch that, uh, you know, Kaur, the Indian captain, took. Did you have a chance to catch that uh, by any chance on YouTube or something? No, no. Unfortunately not. Sounds to be pretty fantastic or uh, spectacular from what I heard from you. She's a slight woman. She's not a very tall girl. But how she jumped and literally took the catch at, I think this was taken at long on boundary, very close to straight. Uh, I'll try to see if I can find a link to this catch uh, on YouTube or something and we'll put it in the episode notes if possible. Fantastic catch. Unbelievably good catch. And, uh, you know, you've seen all these fantastic catches being taken these days where they toss the ball up and they come back in and take. This is more of a jump and catch the ball and land uh, within the boundary sort of a catch. But she was like like a cat. Very, very agile and very, very, you know, very alert. And she also jumped very high, I thought. Abnormally high. If, if you weren't looking at this catch, um, like if you were to take away where she took off from, you would think she's jumping off a stool. She was so high in the air when the catch was taken. That was fantastic to see. So, 
This was a talking point for me at least. But the match was a very close one and India lost narrowly. But in the second one, they were able to get their own. So in a low-scoring encounter, they made only 191 for six. But they were able to restrict West Indies women to 138 all out. So with the spinners bowling really well there. So this is an interesting series as well. It's a part of the women's, um, you know, the ICC Women's Championship that's also being played. And I think they pound, they also count points for every game. So it's going to be also important for both the teams from points perspective. So let's see how that develops. Now, going further, we had the World T20 qualifiers and uh, it came to a conclusion with, you know, we had already identified the six teams that were uh, qualified, but uh, what remained was who was going to win the tournament and Netherlands defended their, you know, their trophy very comfortably. So, Papua New Guinea were having a dream run and got into the finals. In the final, they choked or they couldn't really outmatch. Uh, Netherlands. So, congratulations to the Netherlands team. They did really, really well. And yeah, well yeah, they have done really well here. They won the game and uh, also the tournament. So, they were already previously the champions. That was a shared trophy with Scotland, but they have again won it to show that you know they are really a force to be reckoned with in the T20 format, and they will also be looking forward to playing in the uh, upcoming years World Cup. Kere. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting. Uh, who is who is going to be the captain, by the way? So it's it's Peter Sealer. Oh, Peter Sealer. Okay. Tendo is like emeritus player emeritus. So okay. He's sort of senior uh, statesman in the team, and I mean here he's also expressed his uh, let's say willingness to continue playing. Hmm. So that's fantastic as well. So he wants to play the World T Twenty if possible. He's uh, said we heard this uh, this week. I think he's going to be forty years old. Eh? I think he's thirty eight or thirty nine now. Uh, already, so, yeah. So I saw the final man. I mean, he was the guy that finished off the chase for uh, Netherlands in the final. I mean, he looks really, really fit, and I think he plays county regularly, right? For SX, yeah, he's a county winning skipper at SX. So, mm. you know, I think he's still very cricket fit, and I think again one of those age being a number cases. But uh, I think he, I think he'll he's able to retain the focus and the fitness. He would be more than uh, happy to represent Netherlands, and Netherlands would be very happy to have him. Mm. Somebody like that, at number five and number six in yeah. the T20 lineup would be crucial, right? Yeah. So yeah, let's hope you know Netherlands are able to shine also in the upcoming T20 World Cup. We would be very proud of them. Uh, we are already proud of them, but it would be great if they are also able to go a bit further, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Going further now. Uh, well, if you were to look at some of the news from off the cricketing field, so. PCB, we hear, uh, had to fend off a player revolt last week because of all the no-objection certificates uh, that had been denied to players uh, who are going to play, especially in the you know the United Arab Emirates T10 League, what you what you are already referring to earlier, and some CPL also. Some players were given no-objection certificates, and as usual, they were withdrawn at the last moment or something. And many players had to come back because they were uh, asked to participate in the ongoing uh, first-class uh, trophy, the Kaida Azam trophy or something. So, uh, many players are not happy. So, Imad uh, Wasim and uh, he, he sort of led these discussions with uh, uh, the MD, Wasim Khan and some uh, assurances were made, right? So, it looks like they fended off another revolt sort of Pakistani players, I think, might have been uh, influenced or uh, taken some, uh, you know, mm-hmm. succor from what happened at Bangladesh and they may have decided to take their own action. But it looks like, uh, well, uh, that that was sort of tipped in the bud, so to say. But also, I think they sort of agree, came to some sort of agreed agreements there. And so, because many players are forced to, you know, play only in the local leagues, probably some of their earnings would be hit. 
So it's an important point and I can understand why it's uh, pretty important because pe- people like Shoaib Malik who are at the twilight of their career, it's very crucial that uh, they also convert whatever opportunities they get to play certain teams because certain at least T20 leagues or T10 leagues around the world. Shoaib Malik has a very good reputation uh, in T10s and T20s and I think he would have led a team in both cases. So that would have been a bit of a big loss as far as he's concerned. So let's see. Let's see how that uh, spins through. But uh, it looks like some some accommodations might have to be made for the players. Otherwise, it will not be a good thing. Right? The other thing, it's this power player concept. Uh, it's a new uh, new concept that BCCI is mulling we here ahead of next year's IPL, Kenny. Did you read, or read about this? Um, yeah, only very briefly. Uh, something along the lines of what they do in football, right? So you... you uh, well, you you do name a playing eleven in football, but here you don't have a playing eleven. You just name fifteen players uh, who take up the field, uh, out of which eleven people take up the field. Uh, if you're a fielding side, and then a bowler or a batsman or a fielder can be replaced at the end of an over or at the fall of a wicket, if I understood it right. So I don't know. I mean, I I still haven't got my head around this. Uh, I I have to look at all the details. But what do you think about it? I mean, it's probably another artificial thing trying to, you know, they're trying to inject some uh, some new uh, drug into cricket, which they don't need. They've, they've already made it... Uh, uh, <laughs> well, I'm a purist, so I'm going to say this. They've already made it stupid enough. So they don't want to complicate this even more. Uh, look, this is a concept that's always prevalent in American sports like baseball, basketball. It's very common and it's, it's very common to see that you have these specialized, you know, sports persons like a finisher when it comes to... Um, you know, a baseball pitcher who comes out to bowl in the ninth inning, for example, is very, it's a very American concept. Also, in basketball, it's a, always a rotating set of players, nine to ten players, of which any, at any point in time, about five are on the field, right? Or on the court. So, this is possible in many other games as well, like volleyball, for example. So, it's just an experiment and I'm not particularly averse against it. So, if you remember that example that they were talking of, like somebody like Andrew Russell sitting, waiting in the... Mm-hmm. You know, dugout and just coming out to finish off games, either with the bat or the ball. That seems like a very exciting prospect as far as I'm concerned. You know, mm-hmm. it takes away a bit from the narrative of this tension building or somebody coming in and setting up an innings and then finishing it off. Mm-hmm. You just have these set pieces or players who are good at mm-hmm. finishing things or delivering a result for you, being taking a wicket or coming and hitting 20 runs of an hour or whatever. So it might not be a it might not be a totally alien concept for me. I think it might work. And I'm just curious how it's going to be, whether if it works successfully in an IPL, does that mean other T20 leagues try it out or maybe ICC will really consider it? Because it's also one of those things that can make it exciting <laughs> if you're a fan. You know, there is this narrative of this, yeah. you know, me against the world that you get to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I matches. couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, I know you've you already said it. Of course, you're a purist, and uh, it doesn't sit well. But look, this is the this is the way it is in the world out there. Yeah, but I really hope they don't do something stupid like this uh, to test cricket. They should let them you know, let it be. We already have a concussion substitute, right? So I don't want them to do something else after this concussion substitute. It's it's a bit understandable. You know, it's somewhat reasonable, I would say, but uh, not these things anyway. Also, I think there is a allowance for a keeper to be substituted at any point in time because keeper is the most specialized fielding position there is. Yeah, you yeah. can't have somebody else. So th- these things are there, but you know, I think Test cricket will be left alone. I have a feeling this is something that will be, I think, restricted only to T20s and if at all, maybe to ODIs. And I'm talking a few years down the line. 
So I am thinking test cricket will be left alone, Giri. I think you can. I think if uh-huh. you were to think this makes sense, you can rest assured that probably it'll it'll be safe. That's a relief. Because there you have still have that uh, one man against the world sort of a scenario where that's the whole point. That's the drama that test cricket provides. Mm. So I think they're going to leave it. Let's see how that goes. Let's see. Uh, but what what I would like to see is this this there are people in power who are actually thinking about things. Be it T ten or be it this hundred or be it this power player. I like to see that you know people those that are in charge of the game are actually able to think and see. They might be sometimes thinking purely in terms of monetary you know gains or. But for me, that that's the way. Sometimes you know the sport itself can. progress i am a fan of cricket and i don't want cricket to go away and of course god forbid that there only be t- t10s or t20s tomorrow but you know it's it's allowed that you make some experimentation that's my point of view so let's see let's see how it's mm-hmm. even going to be whether it's even going to be part of ipl in the coming year and if how it goes right? yeah right? see another sport i follow or try to follow as closely as i can if you can even call that a sport it's formula 1 and they have done so many changes over the last few years you know starting with the introduction of new engines or power units as they are called now they have made it, that sport very artificial and you see one team dominating and they are trying to make small changes here and there just to make it a bit more exciting or entertaining for the audience but you still see the the dropping number of spectators they they, they cannot simply address the demand or address the lack of demand they cannot make it any more entertaining so i just i'm just afraid that they'll do a lot of these things also to cricket bring these american things that might work in america that's a different audience different spectators don't try to do that too much to cricket i would say proceed with caution okay i'm all for this you know changes you have to you know stay with the uh, with the time or ahead of time but don't make too many changes not so soon anyway so you already have 100 t20 t10 uh, what not you know so yeah let's proceed with caution look sometimes there are short lived experiments that die a natural death the super sub did right yeah so then there's nothing wrong in trying new things like for example if i were to take your example forward with f1 there's something called the sausage curves that is something new and if i'm not wrong if i read right it cost sebastian vettel uh, race yesterday yeah, yeah. but uh, we'll not go into that that can happen sometimes you know some sometimes innovations can have unintended unintended consequences but if that's the case it will die out by itself that's my point of view let's see but what i would like to completely agree at least as far as you are concerned is the primacy of test cricket should be preserved and test cricket's dimensions of what it represents as a challenge should not be touched that i totally agree it it is it is a sport that belonged in a different era for sure but it still represents a good battle It, it still represents a good show of character, and that should be preserved. Mm-hmm. And this, I completely agree with, and I really hope that stays that way as well. Right. So now, let's look at the trivia section. So the trivia question from the previous episode was, which team has won the Vijay Hazare Trophy most number of times? So we had a couple of guesses online. A user called DS Patti made a guess that it was Mumbai. So that's a good guess, but that's not the right answer. So the right answer is. Tamil Nadu with five wins, Karnataka has four wins, and Mumbai is third with three wins. Uh, we are happy to see that there are people guessing uh, or sending in some answers, so that's not a problem. We all we always encourage our listeners to do that. The trivia question from this episode is: If you were to set a cutoff of a hundred matches captain in T20, right? Which captain has the best win percentage? So this is not just international T20 matches, but T20 matches across the board. So which skipper has 
the best win loss percentage if you were to take a hundred matches captain, right? So you can send in your answers through um, either you know social media platform, for example, on Twitter at Amchek Report or through mail amchek.cricket.gmail.com or on our Facebook page. Or if you are listening to our podcast on any app, you can leave it as a comment to that apps. Let's say episode, right? So. Uh, we always encourage our listeners to write into us. It always gives us a bit of a flip, right? And it also gives us some motivation because we look for nice, interesting trivia questions in many cases. So, uh, with many nice matches coming up, uh, we'll have a lot to talk over in the upcoming episodes as well. We have some interesting guests planned as well. So, I hope uh, all our listeners are uh, continuing to stay tuned with, with all our episodes, right? So, having said all that, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.